Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Well, hello, and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us here again. It's the middle of February, so we are uh, we're in the crop insurance season, but we thought that uh, for our agents out there that are selling both crop insurance and property and casualty insurance, and for the farmers that listen as well, uh, we wanted to touch a little bit on farm machinery and how those equipment values have been affected, and then maybe what the impacts are in terms of insurance as well. So I have two very uh, awesome guests with me here today, uh, Jim Polish and Mark Hennessy. And Jim works here with us at FMH. Jim, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thank you, Ryan. Yes, I'm Jim Polish. I work in the reinsurance department here at Farmers Mutual Hale. And it's my pleasure to have Mark Hennessy from the Iowa Nebraska Machinery Dealers Association as our guest today. Uh, many of you uh, recognize the term Iowa Nebraska Machinery Dealers Association. For years, they were the uh, uh, publisher of the famous Machinery Blue Book. Uh, I think just a few years ago, they uh, sold that off, but uh, obviously they're still very much involved in machinery here in the upper Midwest. So, Mark, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on over at the association. Sure. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Ryan. It's, it's great to be here. It's, it's great to talk about machinery for uh, all of your listeners out there. Uh, I am uh, the CEO of the Iowa Nebraska Equipment Dealers Association. We have about 450 dealers spread around uh, Nebraska and Iowa, all colors, shapes, and sizes. We also have the Iowa Ag Expo and the Nebraska Ag Expo, which is the second and third largest uh, equipment ag equipment uh, shows in the country. So we've learned a lot about ag and see a lot about ag. So it's it's great here to share this with your listeners. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll jump right in here and just ask the the simplest but easiest question. Maybe not uh, the simplest question being, what are the trends and the values of machinery? Um, I know that they obviously have increased, and there's probably some details here. But give us your your uh, one minute overview. Well, I guess the the one minute spiel on it is, as your, your producers and the people going to talk to the dealers, you'll see the prices of equipment have really gone up significantly, perhaps even over the last five years. Uh, it's probably something that you probably wouldn't have expected to see. The used equipment values have have followed that accordingly because of the supply chain constraints on new. So you're seeing a, a lot more uh, higher priced equipment with a lot more technology and innovation in that equipment as well. Perfect. Mark, one of the things that I've uh, been amazed at, I farm also, and the value of the used equipment is just kind of staggering. I've seen, obviously the, I think everyone's heard the stories about 4020s selling for over what they were bought new for, and they're 30, some cases, 30 plus years old. Uh, what's going on in that market? Well, what's happening is due to the supply chain constraints of the new, producers just are having to look for ways to continue to extend the life of their existing equipment. And in doing so, we're starting to see uh, companies coming out with add-on aftermarket products, specifically around technology and innovation, to really retrofit some of these older uh, products to take advantage of some of the newer capabilities that you see in some of the new equipment today. But just the sheer demand for the used equipment product, because there's fewer and fewer inventory, is driving those and fueling those prices to continue to go up. Just out of curiosity, and I don't, we won't hold you to this, but any idea what kind of 
how much percentage they're going up a year. Um, I know that's kind of that's, a, that's kind of like asking how high is high, but <laughs> it's it, it. I wish I could give you a specific uh, answer to that question, Jim. But here's here's the answer I can tell you. If you're going into a dealership today and you're wanting to buy a new piece of equipment, uh, in the past I could tell you how much it was going to cost and when you can expect to have that particular piece of machinery. That's not the case today. Uh, and it, it's really, a if you look back in the supply chain, oftentimes the manufacturers themselves, with the volatility going on, don't know when they're going to get these products, uh, much less what it's going to cost uh, when they do receive them. And so those prices continue to get passed down the food chain to where the dealers don't know what the price they're going to have, much less when they're going to get it, which makes it difficult for them to be able to give a, a firm quote on a particular piece of equipment. So everything continues to stay in flux until they actually have that product produced and they know what it's going to cost to acquire that product. It's a, it's an unusual dynamic where we're seeing prices now commanding very high uh, results that uh, in the past used to be discounted. We're not seeing that the case, and, and I don't see that trend happening to change for, for some time. In the cars industry, there uh, there's a trend that uh, a lot of people were paying over MSRP for vehicles. Is that kind of the case for machinery as well? Well, yeah, that's a great question, Jim. One, one of the things that I really look at closely, believe it or not, is cargo container ships. <laughs> and the Maritime Association is, a, is an association that shows where all these ships are at. And to give you some, some, some data points, in January of last year, there was 150 ships stuck at the ports, ports of LA, ports of San, uh, 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 New Orleans, and so on and so forth. Well, in August, there was 153. You would have thought there had been some progress. Now that's eased up here as we speak today. But the fact of the matter is product was sitting on those, on those boats, could not get off those boats, could not get into the manufacturers to produce it. And therefore, the prices of equipment and the availability of equipment really became constrained. And with at the time, we had, we had farmers who had some money in 2022 who wanted to buy product. Uh, all of a sudden, they had no product to buy. Right. And of course, I'm, that's intersecting with with probably a little bit more demand on the equipment side thing at this point, just given where commodity prices are. Can you talk about maybe what portion of the increase in the equipment cost is coming from just more supply chain issues versus demand from growers? I think you're seeing just the raw cost of the raw materials themselves, mm -hmm. which is wire harnesses, the amount of technology that's going into these products is just driving those products up. You've seen contracts that have recently been signed with Deere and Case on just the labor agreements and, and mm -hmm. the clauses that are involved just to produce the product. That's driving themselves up as well. So all these components uh, are kind of coming together at the same time that's causing these premiums. And to your question, Jim, about discounting or getting above market, I think you're going to see no end in price relief in the near term. And I think the producers can expect to see if they want a product. They better order it, and they may not know when they're going to get it, but at least they're going to have the opportunity to get that product sometime in the in the growing season. Mark, this again, kind of a, a another dumb question, so I apologize in advance. But uh, I would think the market for like some of these big used uh, quad track uh, tractors, et cetera, would be very limited, especially after they're after they've had maybe uh, ten thousand hours on them. But they still seem to be selling. Um, that's that's me. That's amazing. Any idea where they're going? Well, you know, you just start to see the trend in in farming today. You're seeing fewer and fewer smaller farms, 
and more and more 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 on upsized operations. And so those big, big pieces of iron, not just one or two, but some of these organizations have multiple pieces and multiple combines, and they'll consume those things. Plus, they happen to have service technicians that can work on their equipment that continue to extend the life as best they can. So they're trying to get the most out of that capital expenditure to give it as much useful life as they can before they have to uh, finally uh, let go of it. Sure. So on that note, do you see the prices of larger pieces of equipment going up more sharply because of that? Or is there is there category between large and small pieces of equipment where we're not seeing as big of a increase in costs? I think what we saw in the small horsepower, 40 horsepower and down market, when COVID hit, all of a sudden there are a lot of people decide they want to have their own little acre or two of of their own production, sure. growing their own fruit. And so the slice of heaven. <laughs> yes. And so that drove up demand really quickly for those smaller, smaller products and the price went up accordingly. What we're seeing on the higher end products is you're still seeing some appreciation in that. I think there's going to be a couple of variables in 2023 and 2024 that's going to play out. And one is going to be, I just saw a study this morning by Purdue University where they talked about seven, over seven out of 10 producers think now is not a good time to make a large investment in their farm operation. And so 39%, to your point, Jim, was saying high prices for the equipment itself is making me push the pause button. There's another 25% that was saying high interest rates in the overall economy and commodities. What's going to happen here? I've been burned in the past mm-hmm. and I've learned from my mistakes. I think I want to take a more of a conservative approach. And that's what the Purdue University study just recently came out with uh, in February 7th that was yeah. published. No, and I think no. that's good news since the last time we came off of a commodities super cycle, so to speak, we had a lot of people buying equipment. And I think it did hurt some farms out there to have that that large investment on their books when prices turned against them. But gonna change gears here just a little bit. When we were talking here before we started the show, I know Jim, you mentioned how much technology is built into these machines anymore. Can you just talk in generalities about how the the values have changed in terms? I see here if we have a report from Deer that says they anticipate ten percent of their revenue is going to come from technology fuse by twenty thirty. Can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, you'll see a combine that have up to twenty seven controllers. Uh, they're basically an IT shop going down a, a cornfield or soybean field. It's just incredible the amount of the technology and precision planting is is playing a, a big part of that as as well. I think. We're finding, you know, we have to use technology to get more production on a limited number of acres that we have to feed the world with. And so how can we do that? Innovation is is playing a huge role. And we saw that in our shows this past December, we had an innovation hub. And to give you an idea, there was a guy that was a a Marine, retired. And he was the guy that uh, was involved in digital technology where you see clear up in outer space, you might see a drone going in and blow up a building. That was him. And one of his best friends was a farmer in Nebraska. And he asked him, farmer, what are some of the challenges you have on the farm? And he said, you know what drives me crazy? I wish I could figure out a way that whenever I'm combining, I'm seeing corn just coming off my heads, hitting the ground, and it's not getting me anything. Mm-hmm. It's just feeding the, the raccoons. I wish there was a way I can solve that problem. And he said, the Marine said, you know, if I can count I can see the bad guys from outer space. 
I think I can count the kernels of corn coming off your corn head and determine how much loss you're actually incurring at that point in time <laughs> and make adjustments. And you can make some of these fine tunings. And so technology that's being used in a completely foreign part of our, our world is now coming home to have a role in, in the production of, of uh, our agriculture. So advances in technology, uh, the amount of equipment that we're seeing and the amount of training it takes for a service technician to be able to, to maintain these pieces of equipment are all components that are factoring into this. Mark, one of the things, uh, building on, on uh, uh, your question or statement earlier about precision technology, I read, I believe, maybe from Iowa State, where that uh, precision, tech far precision farming is actually running counterculture to the rest of the industry in that they're actually, even though sales of big equipment might be you know, stabilizing maybe, but their retrofitting is actually increasing. Is, are you seeing that in from your or hearing that from your members? Yes, we are. We're starting to see that kind of a, how, how can we apply it in ways that we haven't thought about, to your point, Jim. And we're starting to see that kind of a thing take its shape. Yes. Theoretically, just because they do have some older equipment, and I say older, several years, that may not have all the technology that today's have, they can be retrofitted. That's right. At our shows here, we started to see uh, some companies have engineered products that aftermarket products now that are basically designed to be put in place or to be inserted insert or installed on older equipment to be able to provide that older equipment some of the advances of technology that we're seeing in new equipment today. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see how it's taken mm -hmm. forward. Mark, do you want to take a stab on what that's costing? I would, couldn't be able to give you a quote on that, Jeff, because as soon as I did, <laughs> it, would be, it would be old. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but it, um, it, it's less than a new one. Yes, less it is considerably less than yeah. a new one. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh, Jim, I got a question for you. So, whether no, we're asking Mark questions, <laughs> <laughs> whether it be uh, the expense of or value of new equipment or the value of used equipment that we have on the farm, or maybe we've taken some older equipment and retrofitted, as we're talking about, what are the impacts of that that farmers should be aware of when it comes to um, property values and, and, and insurance on the farm? Oh, that's a great question. Like I mentioned earlier, I think at the beginning of this podcast, uh, the cost of used equipment has, has gone up dramatically in the last several years. And a lot of people, you know, if you're not in the market, don't realize that. So you definitely want not only to make sure that your values are, stay up to, up to where they should be. Uh, and again, 100% of value, it would be perfect. But also to take in consideration all the things that you've added uh, like precision farming, a lot of people are adding the, as Mark mentioned, the row monitors and, and things for the planters that they forget about. And all that heads up, and it's not cheap. Uh, we're seeing people that are seeing 50 80% increases in their values in the last three to four years if their last inventory was four years ago. Uh, it's pretty dramatic out there. So we definitely would like to uh, uh, have them take a moment and just kind of think where they're at in that machine shift. What if? What if that machinery is lost from a uh, machine shed fire just, you know, in the field? Uh, and then once you do purchase it, uh, make the decision to insure it, uh, making sure that you have the right coverage. You know, we're big promoters of open peril coverage on our machines, as well as e equipment breakdown. You know, we have a product that covers the electronic uh, components of that machine uh, that a lot of people don't cover. Uh, can't go into, won't can't go into all the details with it. There are provisions and conditions, but... It's just a way to make sure that you're, you're ensuring modern equipment with modern coverage. 
Mark, before we wrap up here, I just want to give you a chance. Do you have, I know you've said you don't expect any equipment uh, prices to come down anytime soon. Do you have any other predictions for the next five to 10 years when it comes to farm equipment? Yeah, I can, I can share this. Um, I'm part of the industry relations task force, which is four executives throughout the country. We meet with the major OEMs. So I have a meeting, a matter of fact, um, this Friday with John Deere. Uh, we met with Case in Racine, Wisconsin. We met with the executives at Agco in Duluth, uh, Georgia. And we met with Kubota executives in Grapevine, Texas. And one of the questions I talked with all of these executives about was simply, when are we going to get back to normal? When, when is production going to get caught up? And across all of the OEMs, the look on their eyes and the answer that they gave me, which was consistent, was, I wish we knew the answer to that question. I think there's been a tremendous amount of offshore work that's been done that now is coming back to haunt us. Uh, that's not going to be something that can be readily fixed overnight. But they are scrambling and they are making some progress. Uh, uh, John Deere's got production facilities in South America. They can help with the relief. But I think overall, uh, I'm expecting to see 2023 being a, a challenging year. Uh, and I think it's going to go into 2024. After that, I hate to predict any more than that. I think the political climate's going to have uh, an impact sure. on it. But I think it's going to be a challenging year from a standpoint of producers being able to get equipment as well as manufacturers being able to supply equipment. Yep. Jim, well, I guess closing one other question, uh, <laughs> statement I'd like to, I don't want to miss the opportunity to visit with Mark. So uh, one question we've talked about tractors and combines, but uh, someone's once said that the sprayer, today's sprayers have more equipment on them than the Apollo spacecraft. Uh, sprayers were a hot market. Is that, do you see that continuing into the future? I think there's a, a, in the future, if you're talking five years, 10 years, I think there's a lot that's going on technology-wise in the spraying world and the application of, uh, of those products. Uh, I'm seeing things, lasers, I'm seeing uh, uh, robotics starting to take some shape in those spaces that could have a foothold, but it's, it's going to take some time. The, the amount of technology to spray and get the right amount of application at the right amount of time with a minimal amount of, of, of loss. There's a tremendous amount of, of calculations and, and technology that goes into that equation that the more efficient they are, the more it's going to result in bottom line success for producers. And I think you're going to see in spraying technology, continued advancements in that world. And Ryan, I just uh, wanted to say, follow up on your question earlier about, you know, from an insurance standpoint, property insurance, don't just consider just your combines and tractors. We call that the big ticket items. But there's a, everything in the machine shed is a big ticket item anymore. The sprayers, the planters, the, the field cultivators, all that is so, everything's as an integral part of that production. Uh, so you, nothing can really be overlooked anymore. Yeah, perfect. Mark, Jim, thank you so much for joining the InsureCast today. A couple of takeaways I had, mostly equipment, value of equipment, not going down anytime soon. And therefore, we need to make sure that we're insured up to value on the farm as well. So thanks again for joining the FMH InsureCast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on, and we'll hear from you again soon. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. 
See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.